Hey everyone, I wanted to jump in real quick before I started the show because I have an apology to make. I don't know what happened with this recording. Well, I kind of know what happened to this recording. Uh, long story short, I used a piece of software that had up to this point never let me down when recording a, a group. I decided to not have everybody record their side of the conversation and not uh, try to marry up three tracks. That was a mistake. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that was a mistake and that won't happen again. Uh, the, like I said, the recording software I used usually works fine, but this time it decided to, what I can only guess by the way that it sounds, compress the hell out of the audio. So it doesn't sound very good. And I feel really bad for you. And I feel extremely, really, really bad for our special guest, Matt, who came back for his four-year podcast anniversary, and for the four-year of the reboot of the Time Shifters podcast. Uh, Matt deserved, his return deserved better. And I feel really bad for it. And I apologize to him profusely. Really, really upset that this happened. The audio isn't awful, so if you choose to listen, I appreciate it, and I do really apologize for the quality. I tried to clean it up. I ran it through a few things. I tried a couple things. There was just no saving, or there was just no making it any better, I should say. So again, really sorry, folks. I'm going to quit yammering now. I'm going to start the show, and uh, like I said, if you choose to listen, and I hope you make it through okay, Sorry. Next time, won't happen. Won't happen again. I promise. Welcome to the Time Shifters Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher. This podcast takes a fun look at the films of long past, recent past, and the almost present, as well as the events and news surrounding them. I would love to hear from you, and there are several ways to get in touch with the show. Look for the Time Shifters Podcast group on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Time Shifters Pod, or you can send us a typed or recorded message to timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and please check us and our fellow podcasters out over on podchaser.com. Please rate and review the show at any of these outlets. All these links can be found on timeshifterspodcast.com. Now let's head to the Timeshifter studio and start the show. Everyone, welcome back to the Time Shifters Podcast. We have got a great show today. We have we got the, the studio is full. We are elbow to elbow in a social distance way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, only actually, I, I wish we are o- all over Skype. But uh, with me, I of course have Tom. Thank you hey. for joining me. And joining the show again for his four year podcast anniversary is former co host Matt. Welcome back, sir. What's going on? Awesome is, to be here. It is great to have you here. It's awesome to be here. Can you believe when you started uh, this this show, this crazy little show, four years ago, you'd still be doing it? 
Well, so <laughs> still, still be podcasting? I'm glad that I am. Wait, how, how are things going over at the Season 14 Time for a Podcast? We, uh, we actually just launched Patreon last week. And it was one of those things where we're like, okay, cool. If we get like two, three, four people, we'll be happy. In five days, we got 12 and hit our server goal fee. And wow. we're, we can't believe it. Nice. Congratulations. Yeah. That's fantastic. You. Do you want to uh, – well, I'll play the promo later on in the show. Do you want to give a, a brief uh, explanation uh, for the listeners if, they, if they're the type that like to skip the uh, commercial break? Yeah, so season 14 time for podcast is myself, an obsessive fan, uh, my friend PG, a fan fiction author, and her sister, Jess, a first-time viewer going through every episode of the TV series Supernatural. And we started it not knowing what Jess would think, and she's full-on hooked and absolutely <laughs> hates us that she can only go an episode at a time because now we have entered into, like, the really good part of season four, and she can't, she can't take it. She can't binge. She just can't exactly. go to the next episode. Oh, exactly. that is torture. And that's the fun part for us. We just we text <laughs> each other on the side like, she's going to freak out when this happens. You know, you've picked quite the series to do this with. I mean, it, you'll be in business for years to come. <laughs> exactly. Let's see. They, they Did they finally end on, what was it, 15 or 16? 15 is the last season, but it okay. got uh, it got halted like everything else because of COVID-19. They had two episodes left to film and seven left to air. So there are still seven waiting to go, and their plan is to start uh, production back up in August of this year, maybe September, and then start airing those last seven episodes in the fall. Nice. And then, of course, you know, there'll be the uh, the reunion movies and stuff that'll come after, right? I mean, I, mean, I would hope be. so. <laughs> Depends how they end it, but I would hope so. Doubt seriously that you're going to end uh, Supernatural with everyone dead. Although then I guess it could all be Supernatural. <laughs> uh, I've made jokes that it'll just end with, uh, with the dad waking up on the couch like he did in the pilot to, uh, you know, the sounds of screams. <laughs> the whole thing was a dream. Oh, it's that. a cop out, but I I always love that joke of oh it was all a dream. Oh no, I like the idea that everyone dies and in, and then they go on and do a new series uh, called just like normal natural or something where it's all <laughs> stories told from the other side. <laughs> they kind of have done that. <laughs> it's like when you're around for 15 years, you need to and you know fill 22 episodes a season. They they've told a lot of different interesting episodes where, you know, they literally at one point break the fourth wall. It's wonderful. I don't listen to every episode every time. Uh, I do catch it occasionally and listen off and on, and you guys definitely have a lot of fun. Uh, It's it's a great show for anyone, especially if you're super, or even if you're not a Supernatural fan, because honestly, I've been kind of enjoying it, and I've never watched the show, you know, one second of the show in my life, but I still have a, get a big kick out of listening to the three of you talk about it. I still think you should watch the uh, episode Monster Movie. Like, that that episode is meant for you. Yeah, that one is one I will definitely look up. Thank you for reminding me of the title. Yeah, I know I want to look up the one uh, where they visit the Scooby gang. Yes, Scooby Natural. Such a wonderful (laughs) episode. Scooby Natural. They could go and just uh, live in the Hanna-Barbera universe for a while. (laughs) I don't think they would have a problem with that. (laughs) <laughs> they they embrace so many things when they get there. It's 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 great. Well, there you go. They could 
uh, do the same thing as the Scooby did. The series ended, and they just started doing the Scooby movies. Well, they do the Supernatural movies, and they have little special guest stars. And yeah, I'd be were. down for it if they were. <laughs> they, they, they could do an entire. Uh, they could do at least something uh, where they're the guest stars on um, a Super Friends episode. <laughs> <laughs> Start showing up on the CW's uh, Arrowverse shows. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> there were talks of that happening for a while. Really? And then it just it didn't just didn't happen because yeah. they were friends with uh, Stephen Amell. God, our right, friends right, right, with Stephen Amell. All right. Well, we are happy to have you back. You know the routine of the show. We got a couple news stories to talk about before we start talking about today's movie. Uh, first one was one that just happened a few days before. Uh, before we recorded, I think it, I think the weekend uh, started with this news. Uh, John Saxon, character actor of almost 60 years, passed away at the age of 83. Uh, during his 60-year career, I mean, he worked alongside the likes of Clint Eastwood, Robert Redford, Bruce Lee. He was a character actor. He was a working character actor. You pay the man, he shows up, he's going to do his job. And I, for one, enjoyed the hell out of him whenever he did it. I mean, he started out doing and being in, like, legitimate films and everything, but I think he found a real big career in just being that character to show up in television shows and a lot of, like, B pictures. I knew him from things like Battle Beyond the Stars and Prisoners of the Lost Universe. But, of course, he also was in uh, two of the Nightmare of Elm Street films. But television, and Tom and I were just discussing this before we started recording, before you uh, logged on, I went to look at his filmography because I knew he'd been in a lot of TV shows. No, no, no. He hasn't been in a lot of TV shows. He's been in every TV show. <laughs> Going back to the 50s, 60s, you know, The Six Million Dollar Man, Bionic Woman, 18, Magnum P.I., Wonder Woman, Fantasy Island, an entire season or two of Falcon Crest. He was in Melrose Place and a CSI. I mean, he did everything. Well, and please, please don't forget, he was in Mitchell. <laughs> wow. Was he? he was in Mitchell? He was in Mitchell. <laughs> my, 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 Mitchell. He wasn't Mitchell. That's Joe Don. No, Baker. he wasn't. He wasn't Mitchell, but he was in Mitchell. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, played oh. a character, Walter Denny. Oh, I don't remember him in being in Mitchell. He's another one of those actors where he, he will be the deciding factor about watching a movie. If I see a movie in the description, I'm like, uh, with John Saxon. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just to see which baddie he'll play. <laughs> and sometimes not even a baddie. Occasionally, he was the good guy. Occasionally. <laughs> but he just had that good air of bad guy Yeah. Apparently in 88, he actually uh, directed a film. He directed a horror movie called Zombie Death House which is about a federal agent who creates an army of undead warriors using a new drug. I think I'm going to have to try to dig that one up just because yeah. of John Saxon. And that title. Well, yeah, I mean. <laughs> yeah. And, and how the description doesn't mention anything about zombie, death, or house. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Again, he was another actor I would have loved to have met. Uh, a few people that I, I know that did meet him at a couple conventions or whatever said that he was just Awesome, great guy to talk to. You know, eager to always talk about his his work and been with his fans. So uh, he will be definitely kind of missed in science fiction, horror, and just everything. General every TV show ever. Yeah, exactly. 
Uh, other little bit of sad news. The Cincinnati Comic Expo has officially canceled for 2020. Uh, they were they were waiting to see what was going to go, what was happening. They were talking with the uh, convention center downtown, and it was the, the, they just made the, the final call that it just wasn't going to look like there was any chance that they would be able to pull together anything that would allow that big of a crowd. So they have canceled for the year. Uh, they're talking with everybody that was invited, you know, guests and vendors and everyone trying to get everyone back for 2021. Um, so watch this space. Uh, go and check out their Facebook group and everything. And uh, go, you know, mark your calendars for next year, September 16th through the 19th, 2021. And I imagine they'll, uh, they'll probably do their best to make up for having to miss a year. One can only hope. Yeah, yeah. I, I really enjoy going to that. Yeah, that's ended up being a lot of fun. I've only missed a couple years. They've, this would have been their 11th, so now their 11th will be next year. And uh, I only think I only missed maybe one, maybe two, but definitely one in the 10 years. And it's it's becoming, Tom, having you come up and, um, and, and join me, which is great. It's nice having an excuse to get you into town. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's great to have you come up and uh, get to hang out with the, with the day and hear some fun uh, panels and uh, watch the crowd and buy stuff I don't need but can't live without. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Uh, no, and uh, actually with uh, that one, um, having spent years going to the Baltimore Comic-Con as well, I, I actually find I enjoy the Cincinnati one better. Hmm. The, lay, the layout, the feel, the vibe, I, I, I tend to like that one a little bit more. Yeah, good. I'm glad. I'm glad you enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Now, the last thing I had is I was curious if you all had seen the uh, Bill and Ted's full trailer, the second full trailer. They get a little bit more of what the heck's going on in this film. You get to see a little bit more of the cast. I'm going to say it looks like it's going to be fun. I'm also going to say it looks like they're kind of rehashing uh, a little bit of the first and maybe even the second film. Well, I'd yeah. be fine with that. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> Absolutely fine with that. Oh, and, and after watching it and getting to know that they're going to introduce uh, daughters to the characters and the daughters, uh, at least in what little that you get to see in the trailer, um, they have done an excellent job with these actresses for them to pick up on the the vibes of the characters as played by the other two. So, uh, like, particularly the daughter of Ted, she's got that that head snap, that that, that whole uh, feel. Like, even when she's talking and they're going, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) She's really channeling her inner Keanu Reeves. Yeah, I noticed her little, the way she sort of jumps when she talks. Just like he did back in the in the first film, uh, so yeah, you know the cast I think is going to be great. The cast is awesome. I, I I think it could be a lot of fun. I did I did see too. They just I think they recently announced they are going to do a um, they're going to be in theaters, and they're also going to strict uh, straight to uh, video on demand. It's just it whatever you feel most comfortable watching their film. That's how they want you to watch the film. Nice. Yeah, I will good. be getting it on demand. Yeah, no, I'm not. Oh, going of to everything that got delayed because of this, that was the one that kind of made me the most sad. Oh well, I'm kind of I'm missing out. They they pushed back the Godzilla King Kong film until next yeah. year, so I got a lot to look forward to in 2021. Right now is what it's starting to look like. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, but the part of the, that is to uh, the entire lineup for 2021 is is backing off to 2022 and so on and so on. You wonder how much of it is, though. I wonder how much they're going to push and how much is going to be just trying to... It's liable to be like a melee for box office dollars once the theaters, assuming that at any point that they actually truly open at full capacity... It, it's liable to be a bloodbath watching studios trying to scramble for the the, the uh, box office dollars. Well, there's that. There's a uh, since we've had this down period where there's production is down. Uh, yep. They are not making content in the the vast quantity that's usually pushed out. So you're gonna they're gonna probably have to take what's either on the plate or already currently underway and. Spread that out as much as they can, so that the, that's true. Until that's they, true. they can get over the gap. Yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't considered that. I, I, my head was still thinking that they were producing and not being able to release. But you're right; they're not producing either. Good point. So it literally is a pause. 2020 is just the world comes to a. <laughs> it's, it's the Everything year. Stops. Yeah, the the year the world stopped. Now, uh, following this uh, idea, one of the things that I saw this week was a, a, a concept for new style of theater design, where uh, and it was really interesting from the perspective that it looks a lot like if everybody remembers the Star Wars prequels and the Galactic Senate, the pods that they all sat in. That's kind of the vibe of the new theater design that's mm-hmm. being proposed. The idea is... The, the screen is giant, IMAX style on one wall, and the back wall is actually uh, speckled with these pods that are coming out. So you would actually enter from the level that you go on to, and you would go sit in your pod. This would have the benefit of one. It'd give you that over that overlook feel, like if anyone's ever been to one of those, uh, those flying or floating kind of theater things where they they hover you out over the uh, over the space and make it feel like you're flying along on a hang glider or something okay. it'll give you a little bit of that uh, and it also has the benefit of being an enclosed space that's separate from others so you could have a, a group or a family that that can be there and they are actually sectioned off from others Every, so everybody gets their own box seat Everyone gets their own box seat, so it, it, it's a neat concept, and and we've discussed this in the in uh, in several shows before. Just what's it going to take for the theater experience to remain a theater experience? Something you'll you'll put your dollars toward to go out when you can have a fairly decent uh, movie experience in your own home. And I would go for that if they, you know, the whole enclosed pod thing, because with the right group of people, I love to talk during a movie. Sure. <laughs> and that would let me do that. Yeah, yeah, if you're with a crowd that isn't going to mind. Yeah, you don't get yeah. everybody shushing you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I can totally get on board with that. That's a, that's a, a beautiful way to do it. It also gives you that more, it can be a little more a group feel, like, the standard setting for a movie is you go there, you sit in the dark, in the quiet, in your line, and then you can get out and and you feel part of the group later. This will give you that opportunity to feel like this is a real shared experience that, you, like you said, you can maybe interject and not disturb the entire theater to do it. <laughs> 
and still the the bottom row will be the worst row because you've got that <laughs> giant screen now, and you're all the way at the bottom, and you're like, there's 200 feet of screen in front of me, and I'm all the way down here. Like, <laughs> yes, what you see up there, honey? <laughs> at least based off of some of the drawings they saw, you would still be back. It's not like it would be in front. So these mm-hmm. pods would sit stacked and and cantilevered as opposed to up close and personal. <laughs> someone will cram extra seats in. Oh, yeah, so oh, someone will idea. come in and they'll be like, oh, yeah, you don't want the last three rows. You can't see. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've made the mistake of being in an IMAX theater late and having yeah. to sit in that front row corner. Uh, yeah. yeah, I saw, I came in late to a, uh, I forget what film it was, but it was a 3D film, but I was off to the side up near the front. And being in a 3D is kind of like, wow, look, it's coming right at them. (laughs) 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 It was horrible. Probably one of the worst movie experiences I've ever had. Yeah, see, uh, I like to often say, too, uh, that time that I got to sit in an IMAX theater in literally the front row corner, uh, aside from uh, the miserable experience of sitting there and watching a movie, but it was also Transformers 2, so it was like a double whammy on terrible. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I didn't need to see Devastator's balls hanging over me. (laughs) (laughs) In in quite that way. None of us needed to be inflicted with that, but definitely not in that circumstance. So, Matt, do you have any news stories for us today? I do. I have one. This is one of those, like feel-good stories out of the pandemic. No kidding. Filmmaker out of um, Long Island by the name of Christian Nielsen, he got the bright idea with a friend of his, YouTuber Eric Tybach. And they, as a joke, said, you know, because no theater is open right now, if you rented out just one theater, you would have the number one movie in America. (laughs) And it went from a joke to a reality where he sat down and he wrote a script and he came up with a 30-minute movie called Unsubscribe, and him and five other YouTubers all filmed it over Zoom. And it was a horror movie, all told through Zoom. And then they went to one local theater that was technically still open but wasn't showing anything, and they bought it out for the week. And so what they did was is they bought every seat in that theater for the whole week, and because they bought it, that money just went right back to them. So they didn't lose anything. But officially, the numbers had to be counted. And so for one week, they were the number one movie in America, and they can't get taken away from them. It is now recognized as number one for that week. That is awesome. That is quite the credit to have to your name through all this. You can't have that taken away from you. You had the number one movie in America, and you can watch the movie. It's called Unsubscribe. It's, like, available for $4 on Vimeo. I haven't watched it, but I kind of want to just because, you know, (laughs) kudos to them for thinking of that. Yeah. Well, at $4 a view, uh, uh, they're just winning all over the place. Yeah. (laughs) That is insanely clever. Yeah. Definitely. Oh my God, that that that's hilarious. I love it. <laughs> and it didn't cost anything to make. They all just got on and right. did their parts, and that was it. So it's just pure profit. That's awesome. Yeah, there might be somewhere in some book or some publication there'll be there might be an asterisk at the end of their title at some point. But you know, no no one's gonna look to find out what that means. <laughs> exactly. 
even if you do, kudos for the attempt. Right, it yeah. makes it better. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's right. Aren't they clever? That <laughs> just makes them look all that much more smarter. Right, it's just yeah, one of those man. things you're like, oh, I should have thought of that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and not only should others have thought of that, but where's the production company that goes, hey, <laughs> we could have done that. That'll be, that'll be the big hit in 2021 or 2022 is going to be the film about those filmmakers making their movie. <laughs> It'll be like the feel-good movie. <laughs> That'll cost $150 million. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then it will bomb at the box office and not yep. make its money back. And But that won't impact the people that made the first thing in the first place. So they feel like they won again. <laughs> It'll turn into a cult classic and turn to one of those callback theater. You go late, you go at midnight and you know, recite the lines and throw bread at the screen. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and it'll be fondly remembered next time during uh, COVID-59. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so that was my story. I saw that about a month ago, and I just thought, this this just makes me happy. Of everything going on, yeah. I can find happiness. Yeah, now this. that you mentioned that, I remember seeing the headline, something about them, or I, I heard it, maybe it was probably on mentioned on like Geek Radio Daily or something like that, and it was one of those things that I, I wanted to go look into it more and then never did and then forgot all about it. So thank you for, for reminding me and bringing it up. Well, if that's all the news, I think it is, we will take a short break. Uh, we'll listen to a promo for Matt's wonderful podcast. And when we get back, we're going to talk about 1993's Falling Down. seasons, Sam and Dean Winchester have been busy with saving people, hunting things, and the family business on the CW Supernatural. It sounds like a lot for someone to come along and try to catch up on the hundreds of episodes this show has to offer. But that's exactly what we're making my little sister do, whether she likes it or not. I'm Matt. I'm PG. And I'm Jess. Two of us are huge fans, one of us is an unspoiled newbie, and we're watching every episode of Supernatural together. We discuss, analyze, and playfully mock this show all to realize that everyone dies and no one gets closure. Listen to Season 14, Time for a Podcast, on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. Bill Foster is an ordinary man. Where are you going? Going home. Not this way or not. Why not? Metro rail construction, that's why not. Living in the everyday world. I don't suppose you'd have a couple of bucks you could give me. It wouldn't really help me out. If you give me your address, I'll mail it back on us. A patient man. Can I help you? Yes, I'd like a ham and cheese omelet, wham fries. I'm sorry. We stop serving breakfast at 11.30. Who's running out of patience? Get change for the phones. A peaceful man. No, it's serious. I have to buy something. Who's about to be pushed? 85 cent. 85 cent. Hasn't given me enough money for the phone call. Drink. 85 cent. You pay a goal. A little too far. I stay. You mean you stole your baseball bat, but he paid for the soda? Just standing up for my rights. As a consumer. Oh, this guy's discriminating. What kind of vigilante are you? I'm just trying to get home to my little girl's birthday. Give us your briefcase. 
If everybody will stay out of my way. Here, you want a briefcase? Here's my briefcase! There's a briefcase, huh? Wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. Then nobody will get hurt. Warner Brothers presents. Say, would you get off my golf course? Yeah! The story of an everyday guy who refused to take it one more day. So we got a nutcase with a bag full of guns. He's in Hollywood right now, and he's heading west. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but there's other people waiting to use the phone here. Now, if you go up against this guy, be careful. I think it's out of order. Somebody in a white shirt and tie gunned down a phone with three blocks in the whammy burger. Michael Douglas. In America, we have the freedom of speech. Come on, I want to be a part and I want to buy a ticket. The right to disagree. Robert Duvall. I know who this guy is. In a Joel Schumacher film. What are you doing to the street? We're fixing it. What the hell does it look like? See, I don't think anything's wrong with the street. I think you're just trying to justify your inflated budgets. Well, I guess so. I'll give you something to fix. What are you... Hey, Charlie! Falling down. Let's call it a day. Come on. I'm the bad guy? A tale of urban reality. All right, we are back. Now, Matt, this is your film. This is the film. You wanted to come back on to kind of celebrate your four-year podcast anniversary, and you suggested this film. So what about this film made you want to choose it and come on the show and talk about? Well, the passing of Joel Schumacher... This is my favorite movie of his out of everything he directed. And, yeah, so when he when he died, what, like a month or so ago, two months ago now? Yeah. I just started, like, looking through his filmography, and I was like, oh, that's right. He directed Falling Down. And then it dawned on me that I've been trying, you know, was, wanted to come up with something to come back and then on here. And I thought, we're coming up on four years. It's four years for the show reboot. It's four years for me being a podcaster. Let me just put all of these ingredients together <laughs> and see what happens. And <laughs> this movie, for me, it still holds up. It's still, I mean, it's dark. It's a bit twisted, but it's pretty damn relevant to today. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, almost a little scary. I was thinking that watching this movie, our main character, who just kind of is credited as defense, uh, played by Michael Douglas, I was watching this and I'm like, wow. I mean, not to get too political, but this guy would be right at home at a, at a rally with a red MAGA hat on. <laughs> See, now... He would and he wouldn't. Right. Uh, there, there are there are elements of that uh, that are in this film, but like, uh, and we can get into it more as we de uh, we do a more of a dive into the content. But I mean, he does have that moment where this isn't about hate. Uh, this is about what's happening to me and, and all. I'm not your. I, he's telling another character, "I'm not not your hero. I'm not here for you." Um, and uh, he, it's not about the, the hate of it all. It's about the, uh, the the world has come crashing down on him, and he has felt that that way, and he is reacting the way that he only knows how. Matt, you are always the synopsis guy on the show. Uh, I've, mm -hmm. I've tried to take up the mantle and haven't done as well because I often forget to. <laughs> so I was wondering, <laughs> I was wondering and hoping that you might have come up with a, a synopsis for this. Uh, and, and please, uh, I want to I want to see how you do this because if uh, I didn't realize that was your 
your role and as your successor, maybe this is something I need to learn. So please show me, teach me, mold me. I didn't prepare one, but I can bring it. I'm the guest. I don't have responsibilities anymore. Work, damn you, work. All right, so it's it's in 90s L.A., a middle-aged man who goes by his vanity license plate, nickname Defense, Stuck in traffic, has had too much, and all he wants to do is make his way home. Home to his ex-wife and home to his young girl who's having her birthday party. Everybody along the way has two options, get out of his way or feel his wrath. All right, that's good enough. I like it. Nice. Thank you. Thank you. We will accept that. (laughs) Now, I see a lot of descriptions of this film, and they talk about him being... An, an everyman or an ordinary man. And I didn't see that right from the get-go. This is not an everyman to me. Uh, this is not an ordinary man. This guy was pretty much unhinged from the start of the film. And that's actually something I wanted to bring up, too. I was very surprised. This is a first-time watch for me. And I thought I knew what this movie was going to be about, and I was really kind of wrong. I thought I was going to see kind of a descent, you know, a character in descent where the the little things start breaking him down and, you know, uh, that's when he snaps. I didn't realize that this film pretty much starts with him snapping. Yeah. That was a surprise for me. That's the opening of the movie, the first two minutes. Yeah, there's the opening, the first two minutes of the movie, he snaps and that's it, abandons his car on the freeway and walks off and I'm thinking... What the hell is the rest of this film going to be about? <laughs> Where he walks to and walks through. Well, and, you know, kudos to Joel Schumacher, because that opening sequence, I was about ready to snap. Right? <laughs> I mean, I, I remember having seen this in the theater uh, when it had come out, and I haven't seen it since. And watching this now as a, an adult and going, Holy crap, everything that is going on around this guy, in the vicinity of this guy, the heat, uh, the lights, the sounds, the people, everything about this moment right then and there is just get out. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and you felt it for him. I mean, you're surprised it took him that long to get out of the car and move. <laughs> yeah. And I think the part of him that's the everyman is the stuff he goes through is what every man goes through. You're stuck in traffic. It doesn't matter where you work or what your job title is. You've got to get on the freeway or whatever like everybody else, and you've got to deal with rush hour like everybody else. If there's construction, they don't care who you are. You're not walking through. If you know an item's not on sale, you have to pay full price. You know, if it's if it's ten thirty, breakfast isn't served to you anymore. Those are the things that make him the everyman. Hey, hey, eleven thirty. Yeah, is that what it was? Okay, eleven thirty. Which actually, I was a little stunned when we got to that part. I'm like, wait, when was the last time they broke breakfast by eleven thirty? I didn't. I know it was ten thirty, but <laughs> but no, uh, yeah. To your point about the the everyman thing, and I think where you're coming from, Chris, is uh, is. He had a plan for his day. His day was going to involve his ex-wife and his daughter. I think, though, 
his initial intent was to drive there and then let whatever was going to go unfold. But because the day started this way, it devolved along the way. And you could actually see where he even gave opportunity. This day does not have to go this way. He has decided, yes, he's leaving the car. But by the time he gets to the, the first stop along the way, which is the, uh, which is the little convenience store, all he wants to do is make a phone call. All he's got to do is get change. But that, there's a thing that happens in our life, and it didn't need to go that way, but it went the way that sucks. This guy isn't letting him have change. He's going to make him pay for something, and nothing that he wants in the store is going to get him the change he needs. So, <laughs> um, so that moment creates the path for the rest of it. And, and he does it. He keeps leaving an opportunity. This doesn't have to involve violence. It doesn't have to involve me uh, going out of my mind. But because the people around me are so terrible, they give me no choice. <laughs> and that's an important thing, too. You have to wonder if Mr. Lee had just given him change with the rest of the movie happened. Very he wouldn't cool. have gotten the bat. He wouldn't have bought the coke. He wouldn't have taken the break on the hill. He wouldn't have run into the gang members. He wouldn't have gotten the guns. He wouldn't have had the guns in the whammy burger. He wouldn't have. None of it would have happened. He would have <laughs> not the Nazi in the, in the surplus store. None of it would have happened. Yeah, possibly, possibly, or it just would have been delayed an hour until the next. Uh, either that, or by the time he got to the. Uh, uh, the guys uh, on the hill, uh, they'd have knifed him, and that had been the end of the movie. That would have been it, because he wouldn't have had the, yeah. the bat to fight them off. Mm-hmm. The, you, one can make the argument it wasn't the traffic that, that set this off. It was Mr. Lee having a stubborn no-change policy. <laughs> well, yes, but if the traffic hadn't been quite as terrible as it was in that moment, and he had gotten to drive to Venice... Um, Again, then this wouldn't have gone off that way. He'd have just ended up in jail for showing up at his ex's house. True. <laughs> it had been a thing. violation of a of a restraining order, and that would have been the end of it. We're talking about this guy, and I didn't see him as a good person. Yeah. I tend to feel like every film should have someone to sort of root for when you're main star isn't the person it's a little off-putting it doesn't always have to be i'm not going to say that you know it doesn't have to be the star of the film but it it does put you off a little bit so here's the person that you're going to be following through 75 percent of the film and he's not someone to root for there are times i feel where he you don't necessarily root for him but you agree with him a little bit, yeah. I mean, certainly the uh, the ridiculousness of the. I'm sorry, we ser- we stop serving breakfast at 11:30, and it's 11:30. And they tell him that after he's, he's been like, talking to them for about five minutes. And, and I've been in that kind of kind of reverse situation where I've gone out for some errands, and I decide, oh, you know what, I'm going to swing by McDonald's and just grab a pack of fries. And you get there, and like, I'm sorry, we're still serving breakfast. And like, when do you serve breakfast to? And they served at like 10:30, and it's literally. Like ten twenty five, like so I could get out of line, circle the building, and come back in line, and then you'll be able to serve me fries. And uh, yeah, never mind. Thanks very much. So I've been on the opposite kind of very similar side of that coin. Um, yeah, the idea of um, you just can't give a guy change. Frustrating. Yeah, there's so many 
frustrations that this guy faces that you do sit there and you do go, yep, yep, I get that. Yeah. Whether or not any of those things would drive me to the levels that <laughs> that he he reaches is yeah. another story. But, you know, on the right day. Right. And maybe. I think that's what it is. You, you agree <laughs> with his feeling, but not with his reaction. And I'm going to challenge this. I, I know this movie is supposed to be about the Michael Douglas character, the defense. But what you're looking for is actually in the film. I think of the uh, main character as Pendergast. This is as much about Pendergast's day as it is about um, defense's day. Uh, and the evolution that he goes through, because, and what I find really interesting, even as I'm trying to make this point, we are watching Michael Douglas's character on his steep decline. Uh, Robert Duvall's character is supposed to be on a decline. This is his, this is the day he's retiring. He needs to get through this day, go home, and start his retirement with his wife. And instead, this is an incline for his career. He is actually finding he is in a space where he can do some good, and this guy is the catalyst for that. And we watch that character develop as a result of trying to stop this guy. Well, I agree with you, and that is the character that if you had to root for somebody, uh, it would definitely be Duvall's Prendergast. But his character doesn't need to be in this film. He's just an extra character. He's he's superfluous. It, it None of it really matters. And there's so much about this uh, where, like, the, uh, the script, the whole idea of him, this is his last day, and they just hammer it home. Right. You know, his co-workers talk about, they, they set you up for, like, oh, this guy's going to die on his last day. Because all his co-workers are like, oh, yeah, remember that guy? He was like five minutes, no, two minutes from retirement. And he takes a bullet, you know, like, geez, could, could you drive this home any harder? <laughs> and then it's all kind of for naught, but they, they, it's a lot, a lot of false, creating a sort of uh, false, can't, I'm, I'm struggling to find the right word. But, yeah, in the end, I don't know if he really even... If, if he even mattered. I feel that he did because I saw a lot of parallels between their characters. There's even that interesting scene where the young woman is in the interrogation room and the Pendergast is convinced, you know, he believes her that her, her boyfriend and his friends were killed by a white guy in a white shirt and a tie in the middle of gangland and the other cops are convinced, no, she's lying. This is a, a rival gang that she's covering for. And he believes her, and he goes and asks, what did he look like? And she says, he looked like you. And I think that's a very relevant mm. thing where he's the only white person in the room at this time. And that, you know, to me, it's a really big commentary on, you know, on race relations and all of that. And she says, he looked like you, except he was taller and had hair. But really, that's the only difference because he also is in a white shirt and a tie. And they both are kind of like Pendergast is also kind of in an unhappy marriage in, in his own way. And he's just struggling with the little things throughout his day. He was in the same uh, traffic. He was only a few cars back. He's, his day is starting the same way. The difference is, is defense is he snaps over traffic. Pendergast finds things to laugh at. And that's kind of the big difference between their characters. 
Uh, and and that's how the day goes for whereas uh, defense is making decisions based on uh, how horrible things are and deciding to make it worse. Like you pointed out, the uh, Prendergast is uh, is trying to elevate the moment in what he sees. So each time uh, defense goes down, Prendergast goes up. This yeah. is an opportunity. And so you're watching two people passing along the line. They could have easily been the same guy, but because of different outlooks, different things, and even Prendergast, uh, this, this retirement he's going to go on, it's not something he wants. Right. <laughs> this, this, this is forced. And he is, he is asserting himself in his own life in the course of this day while this other guy is succumbing to the pressures of his own as they go. So you have people on different trajectories. It's very important that Prendergast be there. Otherwise, this is just a watch of a man going into descent. <laughs> right. Be a very sad movie. I mean, it yeah, is yeah. in its own way a sad movie, but there's there's something positive in it with his character. And the fact that he comes out of it in the end, spoilers, uh, <laughs> and he doesn't retire. That he, yeah. He, he, in fact, watch it. The, the stuff that you're talking about, where the 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 they're all giving him pressure over. Uh, the, everybody gets shot on their last day, and uh, and. The, the chief of police is an asshole that is just drilling. I don't even like you. You you can go. <laughs> um, but he has no reason to stay even in the job. <laughs> and yet he has found the positive in this moment uh, and, and the energy to, to reassert his life. But that, I think that's the, well, I'm kind of hoping that was the takeaway you're supposed to get out of that. <laughs> I was going to ask you guys if you think he was going to decide to postpone his retirement after all uh, at the end. Because his, his, pretty much his last line is, I, my name's going to be Mud when my wife finds out I'm still a cop. And does that mean he's going to keep being a cop? Does that mean he's going to give up his desk job and go back out in the field? Or uh, is it just meaning at that moment that he's still there, he's still working and he's not at home eating the, uh, the pot roast or whatever that his wife is making him. I think he, he hits the streets again. I think he, uh, does that. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, uh, that I think his retirement's off. I, uh, I, like you saw with that final phone call with his wife where he essentially just tells her, shut up. <laughs> I will be home as soon as I am able to come home. Cause I am on the job. Well, that's where I think, uh, Prendergast really starts making some bad decisions. Then, <laughs> in the final scene, there's the line, "I would have got you." Right. right. If it had been a real gun, yeah, we are going to spoil this in, in in a very scattershot kind of way. But had that been a real gun, uh, defense would have dotted his eye. I mean, he would have been dead. That to me would have been a sign of like, yes, I'm making the right decision and getting out now. <laughs> <laughs> well. There is that, but uh, in the sequel, the sequel's only like five minutes long. He hits the streets, and he's dead <laughs> uh, five seconds after he <laughs> first the road. <laughs> and I also would not want to work with the people that he works with, because no. his, entire, his entire squad is made up of the worst stereotypes of, of people. His captain <clears throat> didn't even know, barely knew his name, didn't know his family history whatsoever. All his other cop quote-unquote buddies were just 
terrible. The one guy that was the partner to um, Sandra, the one friend that he had, the one real friend, cop friend that he had, was awful. The guy, I felt like he was like, uh, he should have been hanging out with Crockett and Tubbs down in Miami. Hmm. Uh, yeah, no, he did kind of have that vibe. But, hey, he was hanging out with Molina from Total Recall. Yeah. So. <laughs> Sandra. Is that where yeah, she that's where you've seen her before. I thought she seemed familiar. Yeah, no, she was uh, Schwarzenegger's love interest in Total Recall. The one he doesn't kill. All right, nice. <laughs> that's the only thing he didn't kill. <laughs> the, the character I definitely enjoyed most, and... To no surprise is Robert Duvall's uh, Pendergast. I think he's fantastic. I do feel sorry for him. His wife is one step away from being committed. I think there is some. She doesn't need retirement. She needs. She needs help. Well, I think that they even so much as says that at one point. Uh, but I mean, this guy has had a, a tough time. I mean, they they had a daughter they loved and she died. Uh, and. Again, this is one of those things where there's a parallel, um, and how you see the world is how is a big part of how you make your day go by. Uh, again, the defense guy has a beautiful young daughter, and I think it's key that um, when he finally gets to the home and he is sitting there watching the videos, you see the happy ones, but you watch it turn. You watch it uh, as he gets deeper into the videos. I think at some point it's even clicking with him that, right. am I the bad guy? He even says it, like, at the mo- end of the movie. Am I the bad guy? <laughs> I mean, am I the one that's in the wrong here? That was really interesting when he was watching the home videos, and you see that there's a little bit of what, we see, what we've been seeing in him in this film, in these turn of events, was there even mm-hmm. then. You know, when his daughter was only one year, you know, this was five, six years ago, whatever it was. And you really realize, oh, oh, that was that was lurking in there before. Um, so, th- yeah, this is nothing new. This is something that's always been under the surface. And now it's just I think whatever it was that was maybe keeping that in check had finally been stripped away. Yeah. And there are elements of that that. I think also make this movie very relevant today of you can see how aggressive he was and just in his language, like watching those home movies and making his wife feel uncomfortable and unsafe. And that's what made her want to get the divorce and get the restraining order. But then she's telling all of this to the, the cop that comes by later and he is reacting as though she's crazy. She, as she's crazy. Like, wait, he didn't actually hit you or the kid. No, I thought he might. You thought he might. Like, dude, are you hearing the words that she's saying? He's a dangerous person. Just because he hasn't done it doesn't mean he's not dangerous. And I think that was so far ahead of its time for a movie about that. Like, they could have made a whole movie about that, and I would have thought it was very relevant. Yeah, you don't have to wait till somebody actually shoots you to be worried that they might shoot you. And that's that's the <laughs> sequel I want. It's that cop getting a you know finding out like, wait, what happened? The house that I left? Oh crap! <laughs> yeah, but if you write it real, uh, you don't. You find out that later he rises to the uh, authority of chief of police and <laughs> right. He's the next captain. Yeah, he becomes the new captain. He's yeah. commissioner. <laughs> But no, uh, you were uh, saying how uh, 
Prendergast uh, is the one of the characters that uh, that you really liked in the film, and um, and I really do believe this movie is about the choices that we make in our life and our um, and our attitude toward them. When we're talking about Prendergast again, even though his daughter died at a young age, that didn't end his life. I mean, he's sad. Uh, he. He wishes it never happened, but he remembers her fondly, and he carries that forward in his life, whereas the defense guy does have this young daughter, and because of the way the choices he makes and his attitude toward life, he actually ended his relationship with her of his own accord, not because of something natural that had happened. I mean, he sees everything as being against him. He doesn't realize that it's his choices that are working against him. He feels like it's always coming from the other direction. And, and the movie is very effective at, uh, at at least giving him that other direction, but not necessarily... Uh, you can see why he might do what he does, uh, the, the way that uh, Lee is uh, behaving over the change request and, uh, and the way those guys are... Uh, asserting their authority over their perceived territory and so on and so on and so on. The part where it gets a little fuzzier is he does give the out to these uh, these moments and then the, the moment just continues to put the pressure on. And I almost think that kind of loses a little of the point I, I, I think they were trying to make is that some of that really wasn't on him. He tried to give... He tried to give the ground for it to go a different way, and it didn't give. And I think they needed a little more of that opportunity because uh, I really do think these two characters were supposed to be the same but opposite, and because of their perception on how a day goes, influences how the day goes. Uh, if you take the more positive route, the more positive things happen, whereas you take the negative route the more negative things kind of happen. and But they, a lot of times uh, the defense character wasn't given that option. Uh, it was going bad no matter what. And I think this was just a series of, this guy was never going to get out of <laughs> out of his, his trend that day. Yes, I think there were moments where I questioned whether he was really looking for any other out other than going down the road that had happened where he was saying the words but you could see I could I feel like you could see it in him that he was hoping that it would escalate uh, even when he's, he's facing off against the two gang members he goes to leave but he doesn't take his briefcase with him because right. he, it's like he knows they're not going to just let him walk away so he's hoping that this is going to annoy him a little bit more. This is hoping he's hoping that this is going to push him because then there's like, well, we'll we'll take your briefcase and then you can go. Well, he's already tried to quote unquote or pretended to walk away twice without his briefcase, and then he's like, well, you're not taking my briefcase. So was he really looking for that out where that wasn't going to escalate, or was he just hoping that it was going to? Take that next step. Uh, that, that, that's an interesting point. I, I think that's fair. Uh, you're you're actually suggesting uh, in his tone and behavior, even if he's looking for the out, he's like, "But don't do that. I, I want you to do the other." 
studio. Yeah, yeah, it's almost little reverse psychology kind of thing yeah, going no. on or something. No, I, that I, does I, add I, up because it's not long later that he just gives his briefcase away. Yeah. It's yeah, not that exactly. important to him. I thought maybe we'd find out that he was carrying the present for his daughter in his briefcase, so he didn't want to give it up. But then in the end, it's like, yeah, here, take it. I don't need it. And it's just an old sandwich and a, I don't even an remember apple. what else was in there. An apple, right. Yeah, because he even kicks the apple away when the dude throws it at him. <laughs> um, right. But no, uh, actually, and having not seen this for decades, I had forgotten that little point, and I could have swore that that's what was in the briefcase, was the present for his daughter. And when, when he, it's revealed he didn't have anything to begin with, they're like, wow, okay, yeah. He, he's just instigating. Even going into the, the Wow Burger. Whammy Burger. Rammy Burger. <laughs> did he really not know when they stopped serving, or did he go there at that moment because he knew Ooh. he could make a scene? Ooh, I like that. Not a bad theory. That is not... I, I like where your head's at, especially since it's literally... <laughs> it's a literally 11.33. Like, they, they say they stopped right. serving at 11.30, and it's 11.33. And like your point where you tried to get fries five minutes before fries were up. Uh, Yeah, the notion that he walked into that place knowing full well that that he wasn't going to get breakfast, but he wanted to make the point. I like that. That's the scene I really want to talk about because when we had tweeted out we were doing this, somebody had replied saying something about... um, wanting to get fast food or liking liking this movie or liking his character and I had said oh, I never want to get fast food with, with you and you had replied Christopher like I have no idea what you guys are talking about but I look forward to it because <laughs> <laughs> yes. this to me is the scene of the movie I know people talk about this scene a lot and this is like the scene that if you just go and search falling down whammy burger you'll find it in its entirety because nobody ever breaks it up and this was actually the scene that I remember reading they were worried about how audiences would react to it because it's the idea of it's a family place and he does pull the trigger. He doesn't kill anybody, but he does pull the trigger and fire a few rounds and they thought that it would be a little too scary for everybody and that it would hit too close to home. But it turns out when they ran it for a test audience, when he when he gives his whole spiel about, like, look at this burger, like, look at the picture, look at this burger, people applaud it. <laughs> yeah. And I love I love this scene. I've probably watched this scene fifty or sixty times by itself to the point where I could recite it if if you if you forced me to, but I won't. Um, <laughs> but I just love that whole like look at this soury, sad, squashed thing. It's like, yep, we've all had that burger, haven't we? Yeah. Hey, slight tangent. There there is a there's like a group, a guy or a group that go out and they actually purposely go to places to order the thing on the menu so that they hope to get the thing that doesn't it doesn't look at all like the thing so that they can go back up to the counter and go essentially make that a comparison and like uh, I want that I want yeah. the one on the menu <laughs> and this that this is not that so if you can honestly tell me if you think this is that I will go ahead and eat it, but I need you to make me what's on the picture. And there's no way they didn't get that idea from this movie. There's no way. No, no. In hindsight, yeah, that's entirely where that came from. They just took the guns out of it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but there's even little elements of this scene that I love because 
after he's pulled out the gun and scared the hell out of everybody, you you learn a little bit about the people in the restaurant, including the old guy who's about to ditch his wife and how selfish she is. You learn about how the manager of the Whammy Burger can't even move, but his whole staff has to do it for him. It's like, is he really much of a leader in this situation where everybody else – you know, behind the counter is able to function and he can't function. Who put him in charge? And you get those little commentaries too, that like just subtle little quick things to to learn about like the sides of humanity you don't necessarily think of. Like in the chips are down, would you ditch your wife? Like those kinds of things. Oh, and and, and the innocence of a child. Uh, In in this high pressure thing, he asks a legitimate question to the people in the in the restaurant, and the only one with any courage to raise their hand to answer the question is the young kid up front, yeah. it, who's happy to answer the question. I know the answer. <laughs> I got a kick out of the uh, the young cashier woman, who while the guy is standing there with a gun and making her manager wet his pants. She looks amused. Yeah, she does. She just looks like she's she's having a blast. She doesn't look frightened. She doesn't look scared. She's just like, yeah, yeah. What about that? <laughs> uh, and, and I do like that you pointed out that they they are all just stacking the food up on Rick. <laughs> he's frozen. He's, he's yeah. yeah. He's dead standstill. <laughs> they're just caught, they're literally making his hand wrap around the shape. <laughs> <laughs> Why am I why am I calling you your first name? I don't know you. I've been I've been working work for the same guy for twenty years. I still call him Mister. <laughs> Didn't like that line. I walk in here and suddenly you're Rick and you're Ellen. What? <laughs> I don't want to be your friend, Rick. I just want breakfast. <laughs> I need that on a T-shirt. <laughs> that would make a great T-shirt. Look for that in the T Public Shop here real soon. <laughs> I'll buy it. I'll buy two of them. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that while a lot of the film, I didn't look at it as deeply as you two obviously did, and I I do see your what you guys are describing, and I, I see your points and everything. While most of the film fell a little flat for me, I will say the saving moment is the final confrontation between Prendergast and Defense on the pier. That moment saved that saved the entire film for me. That was a brilliant few minutes of dialogue and acting and directing right there. Uh, the moment that Michael Douglas goes, oh, "Am I the bad yeah. guy?" I'm like, holy! That's crap. one of the most underrated lines I think in all of cinema. Anytime you see like best lines ever, I'm like, why is that line not on the list? Yeah, and he's suddenly questioning, realizing that he's not the good guy in any of this. Nothing that he's done has been in in the right. He's the bad guy in Pendergrass, and he's like, I don't know, I don't know how this happened, but let's let's just let's go and talk, you know, and figure this out. That whole scene is just so fantastic. I was like, I am so happy. I sat for nearly two hours just so I could get. <laughs> Well, and, and, and I, I think that sums up, uh, like, uh, what I'm saying uh, about these two men and their paths. Even in that moment, when this guy is finally having the epiphany that I am not the good guy. 
uh, I, I put myself in this situation. I lost my family. I did. I lost my job. I did all these things that put me in this place at this time. And even in that moment, Prendergast wants to still reach out a hand to him to make his life better. And it's all about the attitude that you take as you walk through life. And unfortunately, this guy got to the end. He Even once he made that realization, this is where I was ending my day. Yep. Yeah, and to and to go back on, on my question about whether he really wanted to end anything peacefully, I mean, he's got the options. Like, look, you can still watch her grow up. And he's like, what, from behind bars? He makes the decision at that moment. He makes that decision to escalate. Yes. Yeah. Not not to not to dial it back. Well, and he had his plan too. There was an exit. He mentions I could either be in jail or she could get the insurance. This was the plan for his day. So I think you're very much on to something that even when I uh, was noting the the that he was get, trying to give out, I, I think you're absolutely right. I don't think he was trying. To, I see your point. They, there were no outs. He wanted. He wanted everyone to pick the darker path to give him an excuse to keep going the way that he was going. Given his mindset now, if we're taking all of our conversation, this was the best day of his life. Probably, this, is what yeah. he, this was the stage he set. This was his, this was his swan song. I've been an asshole this whole time. I don't know that I've entirely realized that that's the way that I am. But in this moment, I am dialing it up to 11, and we're going out with a bang. Well, I did, like uh, I mentioned, um, look for any comments or anything on social media, unless you guys have anything else you want to mention before we go to this. The last thing is is uh, when the movie had originally come out, film critic uh, Vincent Canby of the New York Times made a really good point, saying that this movie is a Rorschach test mm-hmm. in that how you view it says more about you than it does the movie. Like, is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? Is he right or is he wrong? And I think that's the best summation of this movie that I could ever come up with. Yeah, interesting. That's good. I did actually look up, Tom and I discussed this on the last episode, that I I need to start looking up to see what critics thought of the films we talk about at the time of their Mm -hmm. release. I did dig up a couple things up here, and I found two that were interesting. One was uh, from Roger Ebert, who actually really liked it. But he starts out, he says, A lot of the reviews for Falling Down are going to compare it to earlier movies about white men who go berserk. Joe, for example, or Death Wish. Some will even find it racist because the targets of the film's heroes are African-American, Latino, or Korean with a few whites thrown in for balance. Both of these approaches represent a, a facile reading of the film, which is actually about a great sadness which turns into madness and which can afflict anyone who is told, after many years of hard work, that he's unnecessary and irrelevant. So, yeah, uh, he uh, definitely saw more into this film. Uh, he does end the review, though, saying that uh, Falling Down does a good job of representing a real feeling in our society today, and it would be a shame if it is only seen at a superficial level. So, yes, he was uh, very much on on par with everything you guys were saying, too. On the other side of the coin, uh, Kenneth Turan of the, oh, shoot, I forgot to put it down. I think it was the Washington Post. 
Sorry, Mr. Turan, if I'm getting your... Uh, Please write us and complain <laughs> incessantly. We just want to know that you listened. Sees falling down is more than anything else a greedy picture. Charles Bronson's death wish with a bogus social conscience. Is eager to have things both ways, to spinelessly pander to a mass audience on the one hand while piously calling attention to pressing urban problems on the other. So he's had a very much, very different take on the film. Film critic from L.A. Times, by L.A. Times, thank you. Sorry. I was looking at a few different publications trying to find ones that could be kind of, I could pull paragraphs out of without having to read the entire thing. Yeah, he ends his uh, review by saying, Falling down script and direction are slick and commercial, mentioning that uh, the writer Smith is an actor-turned-screenwriter, and Schumacher's credits, including Flatliners, Cousins, and The Lost Boys. He says, And the film is certainly adept at pointing out the areas of stress and irritation in modern city life, but Falling Down appears to be totally oblivious to the ways it is best capitalizing on a difficult situation and at worst making it even more intractable. Two different critics with two very different takes. I think this goes along with what Matt was saying. It is the it's that Rorschach test. It's uh, mm. um, how you how you when you watch this will say a lot about what you take away from it. Yeah. All right. So we ready to go to a couple of social media? Yeah, comments? let's do it. All right. Uh, over here on Twitter, we'll start with the, the shortest uh, comments first. Uh, Mike Forgetto at MJ Frigg says Michael Douglas's character slightly overreacts to some things in this movie. He's <laughs> putting it mildly. At Trivia Chick, uh, it's at Trivia underscore Chick. Really interesting movie. The Man at the End of His Rope. Amazing film. Fits then and now pretty well. I agree. Okay, yep. I definitely think there's, yeah, and unfortunately there are things about this film that um, have aged remarkably well and maybe have gotten better with age. I mean, we didn't even touch on the part where uh, the guy is standing out and protesting in front of a bank. And gets arrested. And gets arrested. I yeah. mean, it is right, cut right out of today. Yeah. Uh, I understood that reference at Cap Understands. Mm-hmm. says, a film ahead of its time, I'd say. Three hours later, at three hours later, highly underrated. The Lit Gaming Arena video game podcast at Lit Gaming Arena says the man just wanted some damn breakfast. (laughs) (laughs) Really focused on that whammy burger. (laughs) And Mr. Snowflake at Mr. Snowflake 4 says great, great film. Same director as Batman and Robin, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) One does not know how... This led to those, but whatever. (laughs) Right, right. A lot happened in those four years. (laughs) (laughs) Over on Facebook, uh, Billy Flynn from Geek Radio Daily says, Solid flick. That moment, quote-unquote, I'm the bad guy, is so strong. Yes, absolutely. Like I said. I also need that on a t-shirt. It, that's kind of that. That's the moment that I'm thinking. You know, if I had gone to the theater and just been in a bad mood and just didn't feel like sitting through it and got up and left, or, or if I had stopped the movie and went, "This is stupid," and or and then found out later that I missed that moment, I would have been really upset with myself. <laughs> <laughs> Yasmin Angarola says, "Man, this movie is upsetting." Was her only comment. <laughs> Very worst, uh, good friend, and 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 one of the hosts of the now re, uh, revitalized Screen Geeks. Go, go check them out over on YouTube now. Says I have lots to say about this one. Solid opening day and was blown away by it. In recent years, it's been picked on as an example of a movie about white anger. 
My argument is that it never celebrates defense or sides with them. His journey is full of characters who are stereotypical, which represents his broken state of mind. In the home stretch, it reminds us what a monster he is. I suspect, I suspect much of his journey doesn't occur the way he thinks it, it is. Then uh, Daniel Sample says, It's a problematic movie, but I really like it. To me, it sums up what America is, and whenever I'm stressed, annoyed, or pissed, I like to give it a watch. <laughs> Oddly, it's been on a constant loop for some three years or so. <laughs> While defense does display some positive aspects, such as his meeting with the white, white supremacists, there is also some very troubling things about him, barely hidden underneath. I also like the brief moment between him and the not economically viable African-American man. For a second, they have a connection which the power structure of the U.S. is terrified of. Uh, I saw other comments on that that pointed out that that man who is out on the street and he's kind of protesting and he's saying I'm, I'm no longer economically viable he is dressed exactly like defense yes right down to the pattern on his tie yes so yeah i think they're that was done for a reason <laughs> uh done, done for a reason yeah and uh, they in, in that moment at that time when they connect and i mean uh, defense even throws them a little little nod as uh, as he's being taken away uh yeah no that there there is no racial breakdown in that moment they are the same guy in the same moment it's just different things are happening in their day mm-hmm. whereas uh, and, and that's the same thing uh, he had up to this point at the time that he even sees him has committed multiple crimes but the guy who is peacefully protesting in front of the bank is the one that's all away, and he has yet to be caught. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A little bit of statement there. <laughs> yep. I saw other comments on this um, customer review, or just reviews on, I don't remember where I saw it, in IMDb, or maybe it was uh, another uh, review somewhere else, that was talking about how what defense is doing is finding scapegoats for his problems. Mm-hmm. Um you know, the prices are high, so you blame the Korean who owns the shop, even though, you know, he's a small shop owner. Think about it in today's terms. When you're competing against Amazon and Walmart and, you know, the big box, the places that can afford to charge half of what these places are, they're trying to keep, you know, food on their family's table. And so they do have to spend or, or throw that extra quarter on the price of everything or, in this case, thirty cents, whatever it was for a can of soda. I guess can of soda in '93 was probably still fifty cents. Yeah, yeah. So eighty cents for a can of soda, not all that outrageous for a for a corner market. So yeah, you're there. He's looking for scapegoats. Um, you know, maybe the uh, you you don't lose your job to, to to somebody. Your job is given to somebody else. You know, you 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 blame the person that took the job, but never once turn the anger towards, you know, your boss who decided that, well, this guy will do it for cheaper, and so you're out and he's in. You know, this guy's dealing with, he's been out of work for a month, as we find out in the film. And, you know, where does where does that anger go? You know, it didn't go, he doesn't go and uh, decide to go postal at the uh, defense contract uh, <laughs> wherever it was that he worked as an engineer. You know, he takes his anger out on the the, the store clerks and the, the gang members. Yeah. yeah. Oh, 
I got one more little review. I have here, I found my 1997 Blockbuster Entertainment uh, Guide to Movies and Videos book. (laughs) (laughs) In all of its yellow page glory. (laughs) Yes. Uh, and and this one they say falling down now. Unfortunately, it does not give credit to the uh, to the they, many many reviewers go into writing the reviews in here, and it doesn't give a single a, credit to any of them. Single credit, unfortunately. But the falling down, 1993. Uh, this person gives it three stars, uh, three out of five stars. A tightly wound engineer goes on a violent spree walking across Los Angeles with guns drawn. Meant as a metaphor for stress of modern life, but comes across as exploitive and shallow. Interesting. We'll dig into that book more often. Anything prior to 1997, anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't have anything else to say. I appreciate you guys coming on, and uh, it's interesting getting... Um, it's always interesting getting other perspectives on films, especially I feel... I feel I'm a little more superficial when it comes to films sometimes. I don't see sometimes the what could be conceived as deeper meaning and a lot of times there's some films where I think people pull out some meanings and I'm thinking yeah was that really there or is that something you're projecting on it but I guess an argument for that is isn't that art you know art art is nothing if you don't project something onto it well isn't that the uh, idea art is a mirror yeah, I, I mean, you get out of it what you bring to the party. So mm-hmm. whether or not that big red splotch on the wall means anything to you is entirely up to you. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I think this is one of those movies that benefits from a, a rewatch, especially throughout your life, because I think this is this movie is always going to be relevant, unfortunately. Mm. And I think, you know, if you watch it in five years, you'll see something different in 10 years, 15, and on and on and on. And you'll keep seeing different things or it'll strike you in different ways or whatever's going on in the world might be reflected back in this movie in a different way. And that's where all of those kind of pulling things out. Like, I didn't get all of this all at once. I got this from watching it, you know, 10 times. Mm. And, and, yeah, from that perspective, uh, I saw this movie when I was 20. When I was 20, I remember the, the, the craziness of his day and enjoying the, uh, well, the, invi- the violence and the, uh, the, 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 the unfolding and the, the literal take on like, the stuff that goes on on Whammy Burger and all that. And now that I'm watching that again at 47, I'm taking it in and in a way different way, and I am feeling the... Uh, the, the pull and tug between these two different characters and uh, how it uh, the underlying tone of what it is to uh, have an attitude into your day that helps shape that day. Yeah. The decisions you make are entirely yours to make. You, you yourself said this is your first watch of this film. So I, I encourage you at some point to watch it again with new eyes. I probably will because um, my my wife, when she saw that we were going to be watching it, uh, she wasn't able to watch it with me. But she's like, I seem to remember that seeing that when it came out. I seem to remember liking it. We'll have to watch it again sometime. So yeah, a rewatch will probably be in my future at some point. Yeah, and you brought up the theory that we didn't think of that he didn't want the out, so you saw something we didn't see, right? But kind of came to me as we we're sitting here talking. That's sure. Yeah, <laughs> I'll take credit. <laughs> 
and he threw himself under his own bus. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to edit that out anyway. Ah. I was just being honest with you. I'm not going to be honest with the listeners. We'll still know. <laughs> we will. Yeah, excellent. So, yeah, Matt, thank you for bringing us to the table. You are always great for bringing some interesting films uh, for discussion. And this is actually kind of fun. I mean, Tom and I have been um, bringing more genre-specific films. I think I've kind of uh, I've kind of wanted this year to sort of sort of bring it back to what I consider kind of my work, uh, my kind of comfort zones and uh, and and everything, just because. Um, Everything else that's going on in the <laughs> going on in the world right now, it's kind of like you know, I just want some fun films to watch and talk about <laughs> Makes sense. stuff I enjoy. Uh, the you know the science fiction and the and the, and the light horror uh, is kind of like that's that's where I feel good. <laughs> but it's important to visit a little art once in a while. Yes, but it's always nice to kind of break break the cycle a little bit every once in a while and I, I appreciate you uh, bringing this film to us. And this was a good celebration of Joel Schumacher. Um, I can happily yeah, erase yeah. Uh, more thoughts of the Batman movie <laughs> <laughs> having watched this again. Yeah, just talking a little bit about Joel Schumacher right before we go, I, you don't realize how of an eclectic of a director he is until you go and actually look at his filmography because I don't know if he's really he he's not as prolific of a director as some are. And so his name isn't like that one that's immediately like household name kind of thing. And but so you go back to his filmography and you, and you start seeing things like Lost Boys, mm. Flatliners, which are both kind of like, you know, the pretty people pictures. But then you get up to things like Falling Down, you know, which no one is pretty right. <laughs> kind of thing. Um Phone booth. Phone booth. I was going to ask you about that one. I never saw the one. Doesn't, for the most part, most of that picture take place with a guy in a phone yeah. booth? Yeah, like 90-some-odd yeah. percent of the movie. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, most of that takes a place within that block. <laughs> right. Right, right. Uh, and then, but then he does, yeah, the Batman and Robin films. And they're like, wow, where where did that come from? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, he oh, I didn't realize he did to, eight uh, millimeter too. Yeah, did the number twenty three that movie with uh, Jim Carrey and the conspiracy theory around the number twenty three. Like he was not a director who was content being the director known for blank. Yes, yeah, yeah. He was not afraid to take some chances with a with his with his career. I mean, any one of these films could have been the film that ended a director's career kind of thing if it had gone one way or another. And he wasn't afraid to take these chances. That's pretty obvious. Definitely. He was happy to sell burgers one day and blankets the next. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's pretty obvious that, you know, his work, thankfully, he's got, well, like I said, he's not, wasn't as prolific as some. He's still, there is still a lot of uh, work out there to peruse and to watch a lot that I need to see because I have seen uh, far less than I have. Um, I have not seen more than I have than I have seen of his work. So there's a lot to look forward to in the future. Definitely. Next, you'll have to do Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> a little curious, honestly. I actually enjoyed it. <laughs> I, I got a lot of Phantom of the Opera history just because in high school that was our senior play. 
we did the musical Phantom of the Opera. So I've got like phantom history. So I'm always interested in seeing different takes. Were you in the play? Light crew. Ah. <laughs> but I think that's going to do it for this episode. Matt, uh, happy podcast anniversary. Um, and we kind of, I did kind of gloss over this. Does kind of represent the four year anniversary of the reboot of the uh, Time Shifters podcast. So um, again, I have to thank you for coming on and, um, and and helping me reboot this thing. And I can't believe that it's now been going on for four years. <laughs> I wasn't sure how long it would last this time. Um, I'm hoping it'll we can make it last as long as possible. Awesome. But I yeah, I have you to thank for actually stepping up and going, Hey total stranger, I'll be your co host. <laughs> <laughs> Back at you. <ya. laughs> and, and I appreciate uh you uh laying some groundwork for my entrance into all this. I I've had a great time and uh, I wouldn't be here if you hadn't left. So <laughs> story of my I, life. <laughs> I I had the feeling when I I realized the other day, um Probably because I was watching an old mystery science theater. I was like, wait, oh, this episode is going to be like that episode when uh, Joel shows up while Mike's the host. <laughs> <laughs> you know what we should do is we should have one big super episode because I know you've had different versions of Time Shifters where all your former co-hosts come back. That would be something, just a really big call. I, I know I could get at least, well, I know Floyd is always up for revisiting. Uh, and coming back on the show, I would love to get Shonda and Steve back as well, just to do a, a big reunion. That would that would be a lot of fun. We could turn it into a roast. <laughs> <laughs> Probably could. That's when we all sit down and watch '98 Godzilla. <laughs> <laughs> no. no, we do not. That's what we do. That's absolutely what we do. Fine, then I'll turn around and make you all sit down and watch um, whatever you got. It won't annoy us as much as that will annoy you. <laughs> this is going to happen one day. This will be the five. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm loving this. you got to <laughs> do it. We'll be back in one year for 98 guys. <laughs> I, as far as I consider, this is a lock. <laughs> guys are awful. All right, that is going to do it. Thanks for listening to the last episode of Time Shifters Podcast. <laughs> Until next time. You threatened that before. <laughs> really, we appreciate everybody for listening. Uh, thank you, Tom. Thank you, Matt. It's been an absolute blast. And uh, any comments or anything on this film or any other uh, episode, send them to timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com. Join us on any of the socials. Always happy to hear from you. So, yep, yeah, that's going to do it. Thanks very much. Bye, everybody. Yeah.